0: Well, good morning. morning. It is an honor and a privilege to get to open the Word of God with you this morning. But before we do, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time. God, you are glorious. God, we need you now as we endeavor to look at your Word. We need your Spirit to open our eyes and to speak to our hearts, or we will not understand. God, we are totally dependent on you. God, I just pray what Brandon prayed. If there's somebody that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray today that you would show yourself as beautiful and that they would just cling to your grace. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you will, open in your Bible with me to Galatians 5.22. That's where we'll be as we continue, honestly, the sermon from last week. I'm in the fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. We'll be in verses 22 through 26. <clears throat> and we call this series that we're in captivated because in Christ we are no longer captivated by sin. Now we are to live captivated by the love of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. What captivates your heart That will be the thing that you live for. What captivates your heart will have evidence by way of how you live your life. So this morning, um, we're going to spend all of our time looking at the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our life. So here's the what is true statement. It's the same as last week because it's a continuation of last week's message. (coughs) So if you're saved, there will be evidence of the Holy Spirit living in you. And through you. So what do we do with this? The challenge from our text this morning is that we would be fruit inspectors of our lives, being honest enough with ourselves about whether or not the fruit in our life is evidence of Christ living in us, or that we are living for the enemy. So let's, let's read our text together, starting in verse 22. But The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Just wait there for a second. Why is there no law? Because these things don't need to be restricted or governed. There's no law. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified Ha, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another so the first thing we're going to look at is verses 24, <clears throat> 22 through 24 and that's the fruit of the spirit so what is this I got in my hand it's an apple looks like an apple I love apples, especially in the summer. They're sweet. They're, they're they got a little sour taste to them. When you bite an apple, what do you expect to happen? A little little juice to come down on your chin. I know that's gross, but it's it's every bite. God made apples good. It's not an apple. It looks like an apple. It has the appearance of the apple, but why is it not an apple? It's not. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't have the substance of an apple. Let me get that down. I know somebody in here works for a dentist. I might have to come visit y'all later. How to really, how to really grab into that thing. It, it can look like something on the outside, but if it doesn't have the substance of it on the inside, it doesn't make it that thing. The fruit of the Spirit or the evidence of the Spirit are not works to be done on the outside. It doesn't matter what you make yourself look like on the outside. If you don't possess the Spirit, the substance on the inside is not going to be there. The substance is the inner man and what the Holy Spirit's producing in us. The substance of these virtues or these, this, this fruit is only produced by the Holy Spirit and we only get this fruit of the Spirit by spending time with God in God's Word as He matures us into the image of His Son. The fruit of the Spirit, they're not works to be witnessed. You'll notice in last week's sermon, it was works of the flesh. But these are fruits of the Spirit. This is passive that He produces in us. The, the fruit of the spirit it's not a work to be witnessed, it's a countenance or it's a posture of the heart that's only observable by the way that we live our lives. Anyone can do just about any good work, any religious work without the spirit. Still I might have bruised my lip on that one <laughs> But we've all seen we've all seen that contrasted with somebody who's living in the spirit, haven't we? The way that they do that same work, the way they do that same action, the way that they live their life has just a different flavor to it, has a different substance about it. Look at verse 22. We often say the fruits of the Spirit. Does it say fruits of the Spirit or does it say fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. The Greek is singular, and it's translated into English singular, and we need to understand it as one fruit. It's one fruit with many characteristics about it. Waco's most famous doctor is Dr. Pepper, right? (laughs) How many flavors are there in a Dr. Pepper? 23. 23. Now, If you've ever drank a knockoff Dr. Pepper like a Dr. Pibb or my wife likes a diet Dr. Pepper, they're gross. It's not Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Dr. Pepper has the 23 flavors that make Dr. Pepper. People can create an outside label that looks like Christianity But what they cannot manufacture is the inside work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's fruit that he produces inside a believer, it's multifaceted. We see in our text, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's one fruit with different flavors or different aspects. And when we operate in the Spirit and do good works, these things will become evident in each of us. Now, this is what makes people uncomfortable, to different degrees. I mean, you can take uh, two apples from the same tree and take a bite of them, and it's not the exact same apple. So the flavor does vary a little bit by apple, and we are not the same people. But the Holy Spirit is producing fruit in all of us, and it's going to vary by degree. So let's look at each of these aspects. First, the fruit of the Spirit is love. This, the word in the Greek here is agape. This is the kind of love that Jesus displays. 1 John 4, 7 says that God is love, and I'll give you one guess at the Greek word that it uses there for love. Agape. Greek has different words for love to identify different things about love. And we're told that God is agape love. Jesus loved agape. And John also, in that same text, notes that if we know God, we will display agape love. So what does this type of love that comes from God look like? What, what does this kind of love that God displays look like? This is the kind of love that's gracious. It's the kind of love that is unearned. Here's another word for that, Grace. It's the kind of love that is constantly seeking the benefit of someone else. This is the kind of love modeled by God when He came to earth and became a man. Jesus' love did not depend on the world's criteria of being lovable. He didn't love based on attractiveness, Jesus didn't love based on um, where you were in the social order. He didn't love based on what could be gained by loving. Jesus loved. His love was unearned. As a believer, we are to look like uh, like Jesus Christ, and we are to love like like Jesus loved. So how did he love? The gospel shows that he was a good friend. Jesus loved by teaching. Jesus loved by seeking the outcast and meeting their needs. Jesus loved by giving himself up for us. And we are to love as Jesus loved. And we cannot do this, we cannot love like this without the Holy Spirit doing it in us. Our love should look like Jesus. And it will be gracious. It's going to be a kind of love that's unearned. And our love should be the kind of love that's constantly seeking the benefit of others. Love like this is hard to come by, isn't it? And when we've experienced it, when we've seen it, I know when I've seen it or witnessed it, it leaves a lasting impression. This is the, the kind of love that penetrates and permeates the hardest heart. We've all been there. We've been working out in our yard, and all of a sudden you get the smell. Steak. Barbecue. Like, it just blows into your yard, and you're like... That smells good. And it doesn't matter if you like your neighbor or not. If you got an invite, you would go see what the source of that aroma was, wouldn't you? Love lived out is a sweet and powerful and penetrating aroma to the world. Love li- lived out like this is so rare. When the world sees it, they will be compelled to look for the source of your love. Every time we sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of our others, or we sacrifice ourselves to someone who's disagreeable, or someone who would define themselves as our enemy, the aroma of Christ, the aroma of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus goes into the world. Not only that he bled and died for us, but now he lives among us. Because The world cannot love that way. Think about the list of sins in verses 19 through 21 that we read through last week. Agape love is about the benefit of others. So sexual sin exploits others. Strife, rivalry, divisions, dissensions, they hurt others. Idolatry and witchcraft, they steal glory from God and lead others to hell. Love only benefits the world. Love only benefits others. And love brings glory to God. I want to have a life marked by love. But to do that for for that for myself and for you, we have to daily be seeking God in the Word. We can't just produce this. This is done, produced by the Spirit. The next next aspect is is joy. Love is a virtue that goes out from us, but joy is a virtue that's within us. Joy is not based on conditions, or at least Christian joy is not based on conditions. Conditions change. Life is good and bad. Like Christians who believe that, hey, I'm a Christian now, I don't understand why sufferings come. You have not yet read the New Testament. Like, the entirety of the New Testament is about when you suffer, when suffering comes, not if you suffer. And we can have joy in it all because God is the source of our joy, not a situation, not a condition. That's why when you see Christians suffering, and when we read the stories about martyrs, people who have died for Christ we see them suffering with joy and I'm not saying we have to enjoy suffering that's craziness but we can suffer with joy because God is the source of our joy Paul's letter to the Philippians by the way if If you're just kind of bummed, Paul's letter to the Philippians, that's where to go. It's gushing with joy despite his situation. So Paul, he's writing this this letter telling him to rejoice always and all things rejoice, 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 rejoice. And he's sitting in a prison cell about to be executed. His conditions were horrible, but why could he have joy? Because... God is the source of his joy. He said he learned to be content in every situation. You know, that, that passage that we like to rip out of context and make it about some sort of sport that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? That's about enduring suffering because God lives in you. Our situation is not our source of joy because situations change. But God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and for all eternity. And he is the source of our joy. Luke, in the book of Acts, that's who writes Acts, he's telling the story of one of Paul's missionary journeys. Paul and Barnabas, they show up to a place called Galatia. And there he gets beaten to a point where they thought he was dead. And this is what he says in Acts 13.52, talking about Paul and his friends as they are driven away from the city. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, not because the situation, because of the God of their situation. David Platt says this about joy. The Spirit produces a life of satisfying joy, while living in flesh only leads to constant dissatisfaction. That's true. The lie that sin promises is happiness and fulfillment. But every one of us have traveled down that road. And what do we find at the end of that road? We find dissatisfaction. We feel empty. We feel broken. The road that Christ promises is joy. And the road that Christ promised delivers on the promise. The flesh can never deliver on its promises. So let's look at peace. Peace is much like joy. Peace is often... um, it's one of these attributes that we see people seeking after. People are looking for peace. The world that we live in, it's, it's plagued with anxiety and depression in the world, but also in the church. People want peace. Jesus is the source of peace, and Jesus is the only place where peace can be found. You see, in counseling situations a lot, you, you, you. People, they're they're seeking peace from whatever situation they find themselves in, and instead of running to Christ, they're running to a new job, a new relationship, a new workout, a new diet, whatever it is, to make themselves feel whole. Imagine we're standing in front of the Hoover Dam, just looking straight up at all that concrete, and all of a sudden you just see, pff, uh, just water shooting right out about that big round so you say all right i can fix that you walk up and you stick your finger in it well you you plug the hole but did you did you solve the problem there's still millions of pounds of water waiting to crush you on the other side there's a structural issue there is a structural issue in our lives that need to be addressed by only jesus When we talk about salvation, often we talk about salvation from hell. But this word in Greek, it's a holistic understanding. It means to be made whole. We're made whole with God. There's peace made with God. But also, we're broken. God is making us whole. And we can be made whole. Jesus in John was telling the disciples that he was leaving and would die. And he says, look, but there's one better coming. And he promises this helper, this paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And the gift that he tells them that the Holy Spirit brings is peace. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. John 14, 27, this is what Jesus says. He says, peace, I leave you. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The promise is that God will give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, not, not the fake way the world gives peace, the empty way the world gives peace, where we're dazed and confused walking away from it. But the Spirit will give you peace. This is the peace that Paul's talking about in Philippians 4-7, this peace that, that surpasses all understanding. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. You can have peace because God has peace, and God is the source of our peace. Peace is something for us to live in. Now, because it's given now by the Spirit and it was purchased by the blood of Jesus. We in our sins were not at peace with our Creator, but by the blood of Christ, Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus came and reconciled us, made peace by His blood to the Father. So, peace has been made with God. And God has sent His Spirit inside of you to give you peace within. We need to trust the promises of God, not the promises of the world. And if you're a Christian who struggles with peace because maybe sin just weighs heavy on you, like some shame from the past is just heavy, cling to Romans 8. Go to Romans 8. Romans 8, 1 tells you, there is therefore now no condemnation. Not a little bit of condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it goes on to say, nothing can separate you from the love of God. No heights, nor depths, nor uh, principalities, nor powers of this world can separate you from the love of God. So can you separate yourself from the love of God by the things that you've done? Hebrews tells us that Jesus is such, it's His character, that when we sin, He presses in. Your shame is a lie that comes from your heart or it comes from the devil. Repent of that sin and know that that sin's been paid for. Cling to the promises of Christ because those sins have been purchased. That peace has been made done by Jesus. I know some of you are more prone to anxieties than others. It doesn't matter what we're prone to, Jesus is calling us all to peace. Jesus sent you the source of peace, and He lives inside of you. He's the Holy Spirit of God. Think about smelling that barbecue. I don't know if you can tell I wrote this while I was hungry. (laughs) But when that aroma catches your attention, this is when people, the people of God live in peace. It's going to catch the attention of the world. The world is hurt. The world is broken. The world is full of hate, sadness, filled with sorrow. Walking in the Spirit, And the aroma of the Spirit with His love and joy and peace will stop a person dead in their tracks, and they're going to want to know about the source. So let's look at another aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that He produces in your life, and that's patience. Your translation might say long-suffering. The Bible Bible talks about God's relationship to us as long-suffering, That's his attitude towards us. I don't know about how big of a sinner you are, but I know I've spent some time with me and I know how big of a sinner I am. And thank God for his patience towards me because it would be right for him to destroy me. It doesn't matter if you came to Christ when you're 18 or 80, God has been patient and long suffering with you, has he not? And even after the fact, now that I'm a believer, he still has to stretch out patience towards me because I still fail. God is long-suffering with us. And we should be long-suffering and patient with others. Think about when you were, be- you were being potty trained. I'm sure you didn't get it the first time. Now, did your parents just give up on you and go buy stock and Pampers? They trained you. They were long suffering. They were patient. Christians, so often, because they don't have it together, like we feel like they should have it together, just give up on them. We walk away from them. But how is God towards us? Patient. I'm going to be honest. This is where I need to grow. Like I'm a young man. I'm sure when I'm an old man, I'll need it too, but I'm a young man and I need patience. But just because you might be lacking in one of these areas, whether it's love, joy, peace, or patience, don't beat yourself up. Because you can't produce this thing in yourself any more than you can fly. It's only brought by the Holy Spirit. So what can we do to grow in these areas? The only thing we can do is to soak your soul in the water of the word. That's it. And plead with God to grow you. And when you find yourself being unloving, without joy, without peace, unpatient, repent. That's it. The next virtue that we see that will be evidenced in our life or let's say virtues I'm going to stick these two together because they're very closely related is kindness and goodness our world could use a lot more kindness and goodness could it not and Christ more than as 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 Christians we should be kind Christ was kinder than all men And we, in turn, should be kind. A Christian who does not live in kindness is an oxymoron. A Christian who does not live in kindness is the one that, the the person who's lost goes, See, I knew they were hypocrites. Christians must, we must live in kindness. The word here for kindness carries the idea of uprightness and generosity. The word for goodness in the Greek also carries the idea of generosity and hospitality. Jesus in, in his life displayed kindness and goodness. I mean, so that somebody wouldn't be uh, socially injured at a party, he made wine. Jesus, Jesus was kind and he, he stood up to those who who desired to oppress others with God's good law. Hey, Sometimes, kindness looks like growing a backbone and speaking truth. Kindness doesn't mean that we're pushovers, but we can do all these things and be kind. Jesus' kindness looked like reaching out to the socially outcast and the poor. Christ shows kindness and generosity to us while we were poor and needy sinners. While we were yet enemies of God, Jesus died for us. The Bible tells us if we would repent of our sin and believe in our heart that we would be saved. He gave us this salvation for free. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, that's the message for you. Salvation is free. And this is what's really cool. Jesus... In no instance is he asking us to do anything that he himself did not do. He led by example. And we should be marked by lives of kindness expressed through acts of love, acts of service, generosity. And this is one that we don't, this one has always been a Christian virtue that we don't talk about often. Hospitality. That's how we show kindness. Now, we've all seen unhelpful forms of kindness. That's one that smiles to your face and is dishonest when you walk away. This is called gossip, and it's hateful. If an individual cannot help in this situation, for you to share it with them is only character assassination. It's only gossip. Now, don't get me wrong, like I come across situations and I seek I seek someone's wisdom and counsel. But it's only people who can help in the situation. Anything else, it's gossip. So throwing up that random prayer request just so everybody knows that you know what's going on in somebody's life, that's gossip. Going and sharing this conversation or that conversation just to make them look bad, that's gossip. Unless the person that you're talking to about the issue can help in any way, what you're doing is gossiping. And gossip is poison in the church. There's another word for that, and we, we talked about it uh, in the, the passage above. That's sowing discord. Gossip is hateful. And here's the deal. If, you're, if you believe someone's living in sin, say so. It's unkind to not. It's unloving to not. Jesus is the picture of kindness, and that's exactly what he did. Titus 3, 4 talks about Jesus' goodness and his loving kindness, and he says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not based on anything we've done, But according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us new. If we've received goodness and kindness of the Savior, we must certainly show goodness and kindness to others and be long-suffering with them. The next one is faithfulness this will be evident in the person who walks in the spirit this this is it's evidence that's why we should be fruit inspector do you have evidence of this in your life and the idea is of faithfulness is trustworthiness and reliability can you imagine the witness of a believer to an unbeliever if all they know about you is you're unreliable you're untrustworthy. You're not faithful. What can they assume about the God that you says live inside of you? That he is as well. But our God is faithful. He's trustworthy. The next one is gentleness. And it can be translated humility or meekness. And often, especially men, we hear the word meekness or humility. And what do we hear? Weakness. Jesus is the strongest being ever. Jesus is God. The first time Jesus tells about himself in the Gospels, he identifies himself as meek and lowly and humble. Meekness is not weakness. To be meek, to be humble, is to look like Jesus. If you are weak, you cannot be gentle. Have you ever looked at a worm just inching along and went, Man, that thing is meek. That thing's gentle. Or a butterfly. That thing's gentle. No. Because those things don't have any power. But it's impressive when we see something powerful, display gentleness, display restraint. I was watching this video of this wiener dog playing with this lion. And it was cute. It caught my attention. And that lion has all the power necessary to kill that wiener dog. But it displayed gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. It's being able to destroy and not doing it. Gentleness is not weakness. It's being able to destroy with your words or with your might and choosing not to out of kindness and out of love. That's gentleness. Jesus deals gently with us. He does not destroy us, but he deals softly with our souls and with our emotions. And gentleness is what we are to display Finally, self control. Self control stands in stark contrast to the last two in the list of the works of the flesh, orgies and drunkenness. Walking by the Spirit is <clears throat> to be restrained from the freedom that we find from the law. Now all things are lawful, all things are lawful for us, but all things are not beneficial. That's using self-control. We are free from the legal requirements of sin, and we don't have to face the judgment of sin anymore because Jesus did that for us, those of us who are in Christ. And now we are free to walk in the Spirit, in self-control. Look at verse 23, and it says, Against such things there is no law. Why are there no laws for these things? It's because these things don't need to be governed. Sin needs to be restrained. The laws restrain us from hurting others. Don't, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't whatever. Like those things are restraining us from hurting someone else or from hurting ourselves. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self control need no restraint walk in these things. There is no law for these things. A Christian's life will have this this fruit of the Spirit evident. And like I said, it's going to be vary from person to person. So if, if the fruit of the Spirit is something that happens to me passively, what can I do? That's That should be where we're at because we should want these things. So what can I actively do to see the fruit of the Spirit? Your roots need to be watered. Your soul needs to be watered. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates on the law both day and night. He is like a tree planted by the water. And He bears fruit in season and out of season. If you want to bear fruit, you have to be in the Word. You have to to nourish your soul and make the ground fertile for the Spirit to do His work of watering. We need to be silent with God for Him to speak to our hearts. We need to be praying to God We need to ask God to reveal sin, and when He reveals sin, we need to repent. And when you live this way, He will produce fruit in you. So the last thing I'm going to talk about quickly is verses 24 through 25, and that's to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 24, and those who belong, those who belong to Christ, we are Jesus' possession have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We've been crucified with Christ, and we can have victory over flesh and its sinful desires. If if you don't know Jesus, you can have victory too. I'm pleading with you to put your faith in him. Acts 3:19, Peter, he's preaching the sermon at Pentecost, and this is how he says: Do you want to be saved? This is how you how you can be saved. Repent, turn back that your sins might be blotted out. Repent just means change your mind. Instead of following your ways and, and being the king of your own heart, ask Jesus to be king of your heart. Change your mind. Change your ways. And you'll be, your sins will be blotted out. When you're saved, you then belong to Jesus. Coming to Christ isn't just being saved from hell. That is one of the worst things that revivalism has brought us. Just believe in Jesus and you don't have to go to hell. No, we've been saved to live for Him now and to live with Him forever. We, we, we get to be a part of His kingdom in heaven. But here's the thing about the kingdom. You don't get the kingdom of heaven without making Christ the king. Christ has to be king of your heart. Matthew 7, 16. Jesus is saying, you will know you're my disciple by your fruit. This is what he says. This is a warning. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's talking about hell. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. You will recognize yourself by your fruit. He goes on to say in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is, uh, my father who is in heaven. That's living for him now as king. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is not playing games. And I'm not here to coddle you to hell but to call you to repentance and to walk in the Spirit. Jesus says, if the confession of your mouth does not match the confession of your life, then your heart is not His. That's what He's saying in that passage we read. Paul's showing you that the fruit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in you, what it looks like and what the works of the flesh look like so that you can judge for yourself. And here's the thing, the weight of eternity rests on your judgment. The Bible tells us that we are to work out our our salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So here's my challenge this morning for us keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. I want Him to manifest His fruit in my life. You want Him to manifest His fruit in your life. So what we're going to have to do is to look into the mirror of Scripture and ask the Spirit to reveal sin to us. Like, God, where is sin? Reveal that thing to me. And we have to repent. And he's going to produce fruit when we do this. Maybe you're here this morning and you've already already looked deeply into that mirror and he's revealed sin to you. And you're just unwilling to repent of it. You're still holding on to it. You're holding on to that bitterness. You're holding on to that adultery. You're holding on to that whatever. Of course, you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because you're grieving the Spirit. You're resisting the Spirit. And until you give these things up, the lying, the cheating, whatever it is, you will not see the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life. True repentance... Strips away all religiosity. True repentance removes the spiritual facade. A repentant sinner condemns himself to God. We say, God, this is where we've sinned. And when we condemn ourselves to God, we find acquittal because it's already been paid for. It's sin's nature to excuse itself and to hide. Don't let sin and the flesh find refuge in your heart. Repent, cry to the Spirit that He would eradicate sin so that He would be producing fruit in you. Let's bow our heads, and I'm just going to, let's just take a moment of silence. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Ask the Spirit to reveal. Maybe the whole time we've been talking, there's been this sin in the back of your mind that's just, I lied to my wife about this. I, I cheated in this area. I cheated on this test. I Whatever it is. Be bold enough to ask and to repent. Repent. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing over here and I'd love to pray with you. If you have something you want to be prayed, I'd love to pray with you. But we're going to sit in a moment of silence and then the band's going to lead us in worship.